0: Welcome to the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. This is episode 90. Monday, February 12th, 2024, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, insight, and perspective for members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us today, Blaine Disrud, research analyst. Hey, Blaine. Hi, Danny. Jason Cooper, research analyst. Hey, Jason.
1: Hey, Danny. I guess we'd start by thanking all of the listeners that come back week after week, especially those in España. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, colleague, or family member. We really enjoy making these and your listening and spreading the word means a lot. So let's dive in.
2: So for economic data this week, we're going to have an update on CPI. We got some revisions on Friday last week, and that was... Typically, not seen as a main event or an economic data point that people focus on is the revisions to CPI. But the fact that some of the Fed governors are looking at that and wanting to know what the revisions looked like caused a bit of a scare, if you will. And it turned out to be a non event, and the markets kind of shrugged it off. There was no real revisions to CPI from the previous report. This Tuesday reading will be uh, an interesting one to watch. We also get retail sales on Thursday, which From the GDP standpoint, really getting into how the consumer's doing, are we continuing to see that resiliency that we've seen over the last year and a half uh, plus, and watching that will impact that GDP Now estimate that Atlanta puts out, which Derek Felsky and Brian Jacobson talked about last week. And then on Friday, we get our housing PPI and Michigan sentiment as well. Jason, I know uh, this week's a bit more of a focus on equity, so turn it over to you for what our strengths are as we get into our SWOT.
1: Yeah. So my, oh my, that AI, it just keeps on chugging. We've got the NASDAQ up more than 5% for the year. And when you think about the market from a factor perspective, it's just been driven by momentum. So anything that was working well last year has just continued to outpace the market this year. So we're talking about information technology and communication services, the one sector joining the party that was kind of a laggard last year was healthcare. I guess the dominant theme, you know, it's that AI trade. It's not just being dominated by providers of chipsets like NVIDIA or the first users or publishers of software like Salesforce and and Adobe. Instead, you're starting to see other smaller businesses that are integrating AI into their software systems. I mean, the key example last week was Palantir, which just gapped up on earnings. And they've been integrating it into their product set for for about a quarter and a half now. And it's just really starting to drive phenomenal results for the business. It's a trend that just won't quit.
2: You know what's interesting about it? And Jason, you listen to a lot of earnings calls and get into the transcripts and what the actual management's saying and the fact that you've got this software and this technology that's come about that, you know, machine learning's been around, but the fact that you can use, in layman's terms, like just simple language to program or work through certain problems that you're trying to get. The management teams that are efficient and well-organized have figured out ways to structure the business or encourage their employees to, you know, implement those that software, uh, embrace it, and it's pretty impressive to see what companies are are doing it and how they're doing it.
1: You have the ability to internally utilize the software and also the ability to sell it. So you're you're seeing companies like Alphabet that are working on both fronts, and I, I mean, the management team on their earnings call made it a point to go out and say, okay, all of the layoffs that we're doing in certain segments of our business, they're not necessarily tied to AI, but the remaining people there are using AI and they're much more productive. It's like, okay, well, I think, I think that increased productivity might be part of the reason that you're laying people off. But then at the same time, they're turning around and integrating now what was barred Gemini for services and, and attempting to garner more eyes on on search. So there, there are a lot of ways you can slice and dice it, but it seems like the trend is just focusing intently on AI. And it's because at the end of the day, we live in a capitalist society. And if you could do anything to reduce costs and increase your profit margins or drive sales growth, that's what you're gonna do. And some of the biggest companies in the world that were already dominant in their areas of expertise it's just strengthening the remotes.
2: Talking about improving margins and having strong balance sheets, quality so far this year has actually done quite well. Granted, we're about a month into the year, but still the quality factor, which I know, again, Derek and Brian talked about last week, what is quality, has produced. And I think some of that gets back to, and we'll talk about it more later, but the fact that you have the economic data that you had coming out and the fact that the Fed more or less pushed off the March rate cut is getting to the point that companies that have strong balance sheets, that have their capital structure in order, are able to leverage that going forward and improve upon their peers who are maybe overburdened by debt or other factors inside their their business model. And that balance sheet factor is, is really important in assessing quality.
1: But there's also the other aspect, which is a lot of these businesses tend to have low earnings volatility. So you have all this uncertainty with respect to monetary policy, and I mean, how often do we hear? Are we going to have no landing, soft landing, hard landing? It doesn't really matter for those businesses as much as their peers. So certainly, it seems that the market's willing to pay up for the certainty. But when you think about that low volatility earnings growth, these companies are still growing over time. So it makes sense that their share prices continue to go higher, just because, at the end of the day, to a degree over the long term, share price should track the fundamentals.
2: Yeah, absolutely agree. One thing that is not in the equity bucket that we're going to kind of talk about here is, uh, and Jason, I'm giving you a layup, is Bitcoin. It has come back with a vengeance as far as performance, you've got the SEC regulation going on and whether or not ETFs are going to be able to operate in the spot market. So I'll kind of hand that over to you and kind of run with it.
1: Yeah. Well, we had the launch of numerous ETFs. Uh, You had Grayscale, which was a trust. They converted to an ETF wrapper, which is more beneficial for anyone that owns that type of structure. And what you saw was Grayscale maintained their high fees, hoping that most people that had long-term gains wouldn't sell. Uh, But anyone that had, you know, tax-deferred, assets allocated to Grayscale, they've they have withdrawn. So you've seen selling pressure in the spot market as they've liquidated. But that's been offset by BlackRock and Fidelity. So you're actually starting to see pretty nice net inflows to this relatively new asset class. I mean, it's only existed for 15 years, and now it's readily available to all investors, both retail and institutional. Um, but what was really interesting about this week was it, it appeared Fidelity is they have a, an ETF lineup that's effectively a fund of funds for strategic asset allocation. And based on their investors' risk tolerance, they're now allocating 1% to 3% into Bitcoin. Um, so it, money is flowing into the asset class. So you can debate the fundamentals of it all you want. As Derek Velsky always says, our CIO, price pays.
2: And it's interesting, right? Like when you have uh, access to investment, right? You talk about an index and it's, uh, is the index actually investable? Uh, You can say the same thing of these sort of newer asset classes, even like our U.S. stock market. You look back, you couldn't do online trading till you know, in the 90s, 1990s. Having that become more accessible where you can go on your phone and there's wallets open up, easy to do, and you can purchase Bitcoin or purchase other types of uh online currencies it cryptocurrencies it's uh makes it more accessible for everyone which creates demand the japanese market has also been strong uh we're getting near new highs uh 1989 was uh the all-time high in the nikkei and we are yeah we were checking on that right yeah. blaine
1: and and my uh, my chart didn't go back to the previous all-time high so i had to have you run it on bloomberg
2: yeah and we're uh we're approaching that we're n- we're not quite there but Japan has been very strong uh, over the last uh, several months, and that has continued. I think it's a good way to segue into our weaknesses. And we talked about quality factor, AI. One area that's been struggling has been small caps, and it has been for a while. Uh, we've talked about small caps for multiple and numerous times on the podcast. It continues to have and give back kind of the the performance that you saw coming out of October, where it caught a bid, and now, given the fact that we have higher rates Uh, It just has struggled to keep up with the, the large cap names.
1: I know we've mentioned it previously on the podcast, but a disproportionate number of the names within the Russell 2000, which is a small cap index, they don't even generate a profit. So you couple that with their high levels of indebtedness and the increase in interest rates, and you really do have to question how many of these businesses can continue over the next couple of years given where interest rates are. That doesn't mean that there's no opportunity there because there are a lot of tremendous businesses when you're willing to put your security analyst hat on and dive deep into the business structure. You know, customers, you you can, for example, find businesses with very low earnings volatility that have rock solid balance sheets that are highly investable and and making new all time highs. But you look at the overall index and it's really weighed down by a lot of these laggards. (laughs) And I mean, We've talked about this a few times as a team, but when you think about it, if you own, for example, that type of basket of securities, one of the negatives is anytime you do have one of those good businesses that grows from small to mid cap, it's reconstituted out of the index. So unlike the S&P, where you have these great AI beneficiaries that are continuing to become bigger, more dominant parts of the index, you have the great small cap names and they
2: leave. So you're constantly having to find those growth companies that are actually going to move into that new and larger uh, cap size index. It's something that, you know, over time, if you can buy and hold on to the small cap and it comes to mid cap and then becomes a large cap, it's great. But if you're looking at the index itself or trying to invest in that index fund, you kind of have that as a headwind or a potential headwind. And I think there'll be a bid for small caps at some point. But the fact that we continuously see the economy being as strong as it is, which is forcing the Fed to keep rates where it's at, uh, continues to apply that pressure on the small cap names that just aren't profitable, uh, which then helps as far as dragging back and dragging down uh, the small caps as an index as a whole.
1: And, And then you think about those higher interest rates. And another area of weakness is really the interest rate sensitive securities or sectors like utilities and real estate. And that's nothing new. We've, we've talked about that, I would have to imagine, for at least the last six months.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, commercial real estate continues to be a problem. Saw that pop up recently. And that's still just, it's going to play out for the rest of this year. It's something that is going to be a challenge for banks to to work through and reorganize and reconstitute their portfolios as far as their commercial real estate exposure.
1: I think it was Derek on our previous podcast, he was talking about, you never know, You know, if there's one cockroach, there's, there's probably more. And we saw New York Community Bank. Then we saw it migrate to Japan with, I think it's Auzora Bank. And then we heard something out of Europe this week with Deutsche PBB. I mean, it is awfully reminiscent of the great financial crisis and not to stoke fear, but at least within segments of the banking sector, when you have an asset class that's toxic or could be toxic, and all you need is a little bit of that to default to wipe out the equity.
2: Well, it's like idio- you know, there, There's an inherent leverage in
1: banking. Yeah,
2: it's like idiosyncratic risk, you know, becomes systematic risk. If there's enough idiosyncratic risk, that all lines up, right? Enough dominoes fall, it creates the, the problem that could persist. Should we be more cheerful and turn to opportunities? <laughs> Good idea, the market breadth has been, you know, improving underneath the hood. We talked about the Magnificent Seven for a while last year. And this year we've actually seen a more equally weighted or, or wider breadth come online or starting to come online. It's not that it's full blown there, but it, there are certain areas that are starting to show up and it's kind of a rising tide, if you will.
1: Yeah. So from a contribution to this year's return from an S&P perspective, the concentration of that return is still really high with like 70% of the return be generated by a handful of names. But To a large degree, that's because so many of the names from a waiting perspective are just inconsequential. I mean, if you have NVIDIA or Meta up 30 to 40% in a couple months, that's a big tailwind to the index. But if you have something with a $2 billion market capitalization doubling, that does nothing to the index. And what we're seeing, at least from a trading perspective, is a lot of the names are actually in pretty good consolidation patterns, trending higher, looking like they want to move. And that's corroborated by, you know, there are more highs than lows um, in the New York Stock Exchange. When you look at breadth, so like the advanced decline line of the New York Stock Exchange, that's expanding. And even though you've seen small caps underperform, mid caps are, I think, closed last week towards towards their uh, recent high. So they put in a, a higher high. And, you know, those names have, I would say, superior balance sheets. They've often graduated from small cap land. So they're businesses that have the capacity to grow and it seems like that's a real opportunity because the valuations there are still very reasonable.
2: And that kind of goes back to our weakness in small caps. Like if you're finding the right ones and you're doing the due diligence on those companies, there's still opportunities there. It's just a matter of making sure you're not jumping in with both feet and so forth. You just got to pick and choose where you're you're working into. Another area that we've kind of talked about quite a bit on the team and of mentioned before, but energy continues to have good prospects looking outward, just from the standpoint of where oil prices sit today and the balance sheets on those, those companies and how they're situated. Uh, they're just cash cows, if you will, and just producing very good return on capital.
1: And it's not even that they're generating a lot of cash now. You know, if, if you look at any of the big integrateds or refiners, those earnings estimates are actually expected to come down. Um, as the refining market, I'd I say, equilibrates, because right now there's more demand than there is supply or ability to produce. So if you look at the out-year earnings, which are lower, and you discount those back doing you know a normal uh, discounted cash flow analysis, there's still really good prospects, even, even assuming lower earnings into the future. So as oil has stabilized, if there's any prospect of that inflecting higher cheap names will go to really cheap unless the share price participates. So that's certainly an opportunity.
2: And when you get through those consolidation periods, I mean, we've talked about quite a bit of consolidating here. It's a matter of watching, understanding where that company's going and and knowing, like you said, Jason, even though earnings might be estimated to come down, it's based off of this consolidation in oil prices that we've seen. And the fact that Some of those companies have the operating leverage where if they see a dollar or two dollars increase in oil, I mean, that turns into automatic bottom line increases, right? Like it's they they set themselves up for that that expansion of margins.
1: Yeah, and sometimes the the market will spend 80 percent of its time deciding what direction it wants to go and then 20 percent of the time getting there. So a a re-rating could be sharp, which is another reason to continue to maintain exposure to the energy sector in your portfolio.
2: The other spot, and then this will segue us into threats, is uh, we had a bit of a what we talked about on the team is a capitulation moment in China. Sometimes when you see that capitulation moment, it is your potential buying opportunity. Not that it doesn't come without a ton of risk because it does, but the fact that we've had China sell so off in the way that it has, and now you have documents more or less going to President Xi to try and support the, the financial markets there. It's getting the attention of not just the market participants, but, you know, the Chinese government itself.
1: It's an opportunity, but it's also a great opportunity for us to segue it to threats because we clearly have a contentious relationship with China. We don't necessarily know from a policy perspective if there's the prospect that some of those securities will be delisted. You know, when when the uh, Russians invaded Ukraine, you had all the Russian ADRs effectively delisted. Anyone that had the asset class had to write it down to zero. And as tensions escalate, I mean, you you know, you have Trump proposing 60% tariffs on Chinese imports. And I don't know if that was broad based or certain ones, but certainly those headlines are catchy. And they just speak to the fact that we continue to have a contentious relationship with the country. So even though you have these names that are trading at deep discounts relative to where they've historically Traded. The question is, is that opportunity something to invest in or is there just too much risk?
2: Yeah. And I mean, one that you didn't mention, but Todd on our team has mentioned is, you know, if there is a blockade of Taiwan, you know, how do we react to that? And like you said before, right, we could end up saying, you know what, we're not investing in China anymore because of that or something of that nature. So to that delisting aspect again, it definitely has the potential to be an opportunity, but comes with a ton of ton of potential threats. The other one that we've talked about, right, higher for longer, we've talked about it before, but it continues to persist. The fact that we've had good economic growth, economic data continues to come in strong. Powell said he wants to continue to see good data before making a decision to cut. Inflation's coming in under control, but The fact that we continue to have these higher rates and companies' debt needs to be refinanced through that period, uh, it leads to potential for lower margins and lower return on invested capital for some of those companies.
1: I think the biggest threat that I just keep coming back to is this continuation of heightened uncertainty. And there's so much uncertainty in the economy from an interest rate perspective, from the ultimate impact of those interest rates to the economy. And we're on so many of these corporate calls on a quarterly basis. And I just continue to hear that firms are delaying effectively growth initiatives because they have a low forecast ability into the future, which is very interesting because the one thing they continuously highlight is that forecast ability is directly tied to the Fed funds rate. So if we were ever to get into a situation where that Fed funds rate comes down because there's a soft landing, then that soft landing has a high prospect of accelerating into
2: a no landing. And that's an interesting thought process with the idea that, you know, we go through this and really private sector's done quite well through all this tightening cycle, yet it's our actual government that's the one that's paying the piper for it uh, through higher interest costs because we are running the deficits that we are. So it's interesting to see, and it will be interesting to see how fiscal policy tries to adjust going through this election cycle and coming out of it. And then what the monetary policy reacts to that to try and, you know, at least make sure that we aren't removing price stability from the dollar standpoint going forward as well. So to your point, Jason, just a ton of uncertainty
0: out there as well. Headline time. What is our headline strength this week?
1: You always have that uh, saying, trees don't grow to the sky, but I don't know. It seems like trees are growing to the sky.
0: Headline
2: weakness. Interest rate exposed securities continue to lag. Headline opportunity. Maybe that bad breath improves. Take some mint.
0: Headline threat. We have uncertainty. Here you go. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. That is episode 90, Monday, February 12th. Thank you for listening. Blaine Disrude, research analyst. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. And Jason Cooper, research analyst. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Danny.